at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, February 7th, 2024 edition. And we are moving well into the the second month of the year. Uh, a lot of interesting market gyrations. Next week is Option X week. Uh, as you probably know, I uh, certainly think that's a time uh, that tends to bring market upside. And uh, you're starting to see that now. Um, so uh, very interesting times to see how uh, money kind of continues to flow in a mechanical way into markets. And that uh, definitely colors the trends that we are seeing, at least uh, so far this year. Now, we're going to dig into more of that as we go through this hour. But our goal here is to not just focus on what happened today or next week or last week, but your overall investment strategy. And making it so you are prepared for what's around the corner. To make those decisions, not with emotions, but with real facts and logic. And that will typically guide you in the right direction. Your emotions, as easy as they are to give into, they tend to not guide you in the right direction. So that's our goal here is to help you base your decision making in reality. Not in the world that you hope and wish it would be, but the world that we are in today. Invest for the market that you are given, not the market you hope for. Because guess what? Just like the rest of the world, we don't live in a utopia. There are problems, there are things that you wish were fixed. And at the end of the day, Most people don't have any control over that. What you have control over is your decisions. And those decisions based on, once again, the market that you have in front of you, the economy that you have in front of you. So we're going to answer your finance and investment questions and give you our unbiased perspective developed over 20 plus years of investing experience. Now, I'm going to run down the market performance for today as well as some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question, and it's a live one from Jacob here in California looking at XLK, which is the technology sector spiders ETF. You own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I currently own a very small position uh, in my 403B and 457. Uh, I trimmed uh, a while back and now... My total position is about 7%. I know it's already taken off, and it's 
pretty expensive, but uh, just wondering when you would look to get back in uh, for a, a long-term hold of about 20 years or so. And I currently have a large uh, position in cash. Yeah, well, you know, the technology sector tends to be very volatile. And volatility can be a good thing, as it was last year and so far this year. And it can be a very bad thing, like it was in 2022. So a lot of it's going to ebb and flow based on liquidity dynamics in the marketplace. And right now, the liquidity dynamics are just fine. So uh, the technicals are okay. You're getting a bit of divergence recently uh, in some of the indicators that maybe the momentum will slow down. Uh, But that could just be a consolidation as well. Uh, Now, you're saying this position is 7% of your portfolio. What would you say your overall allocation to technology is in your portfolio? beyond just this particular ETF? Uh, this is the only technology exposure I have. Okay. Uh, then I, I think that's fine. I mean, 7% is fine. I don't think you need to go up from here dramatically. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's hard to say, oh, when you would you pick it up? It, it's more of the dynamics within the market. Near term, if you're looking for a trade, I think there's still potentially some more near-term upside. But if you get a liquidity situation as we go into the back half of the year, that's a little dicier. Uh, a lot will depend on what happens with the, tre- with the, with the uh, Treasury and whether they're going to issue more longer-dated securities, which typically pulls liquidity out of the market. Uh, what is the Fed going to do with QT? Are they going to wind that down, et cetera? There's, there's a lot of those factors that are going to influence the liquidity dynamics in the market for the rest of this year and frankly going forward so it's hard to say uh, how they're going to react uh, but obviously right now all those things are flowing well in that direction but that could easily change and you to me you want to be uh on the precipice of that changing back the other way right now i think there's more risk over the next three to six months of that changing to a worse situation for your for liquidity um and you know i would want to be coming out of a a poor liquidity uh environment to really up my allocation to technology at this point i would just hold it i don't think you need to uh sell it uh at seven percent of your portfolio but certainly not the right time to to get in at the moment now we're going into a break i welcome your finance and investment questions now Give Invest Talk a call at 888 chart Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. It's an InvestTalk Monday. 
Justin Klein is here taking your questions live. Call Investalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go. It, it is not Monday. It is Thursday. So don't get confused. Uh, uh, that was a, a mistake there. But uh, we're going to go to Mac in Cabo San Lucas. who wants to look at Amgen. Correct. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Um, yeah, it's taken quite a hit the last couple of days. It looks pulling down to its 50-day average. And I was wondering what you thought about the company. I'm an owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was getting, getting your opinion on it. Yeah, this came into its earnings season uh, pretty overbought. And clearly, they disappointed on the earnings and their outlook. And this has reversed the last two days in a very uh, violent manner. A high of around $330 per share back on Monday. And now we're at 295 and change at the close today. This would be a very bearish reversal after a pretty long run from last summer when it was trading at only $211. So uh, from a technical perspective, this is bearish. And from a fundamental perspective, I do think it's a bit overvalued. Our fair value is closer to 200, and now it's at 295. So I think there is a lot of potential downside to come. Now, Amgen, it's a good company. It's a good business. It it just ran too far too fast uh, for the underlying fundamentals. And I would be looking to lighten your load at the very least. Uh, What percentage of of your overall portfolio is Amgen right now? Probably 3%, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's not too much in and of itself, but with the fundamental and technical backdrop right now, I would want that to be closer to 1.5, maybe 1, maybe lower. Maybe you want to eliminate it completely. depends on your uh, total exposure to the sector, like the healthcare sector, the biotech sector, et cetera. It's one of the better run out there, like I said, but... From a valuation perspective, uh, it's just uh, trading at a too high of a valuation needs to come back in. So uh, I would not be afraid to either trim it or eliminate it. Okay. I, I bought it when it was, I had a really good run in it. And now mm-hmm. I'm, uh, it's just getting, you know, it's just dropping like a rock. So yeah, thanks a lot for your help. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for the call. Now we're heading into, are we heading into a break? No, we're going to talk about, uh, actually, let me go over what we're going to talk about today. Our main focus point is in regards to how the market may be in a precarious position. This is what uh, a fund manager is saying. And I I, I want to highlight this because it's important to dissect the arguments. You should never take an argument on face value. You have to say, okay, does that make sense? Is that the primary driver of, the ultimate outcome, or is that something that's minor? So I'm going to look at his argument and give you my take of where I think he's correct and where it may be wrong. Also, we're going to touch on why Americans are so down on the economy with, on the face of it, a relatively strong economy, not just talking about jobs, but consumer spending, earnings for corporations, etc. And hint, hint, it is 
certainly politically driven. Let's just say that. And we're going to unpack that. Also, we tried to get to this yesterday, but the Federal Reserve's Senior Bank Lending Officer Survey was published on Monday. So what is that telling us about lending out there in the economy? And then lastly, rents. What are the trends in rent prices across the country? We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to Denon Mines, and the other is Tencent Holdings. And I also have my perspective segment in regards to law of large numbers. I like this one because it talks about a broader concept and how you can apply it when you are looking at especially growth companies. Okay. So that's what's on the docket for us today. Let's take a look at the market overall. It was a positive day. Large caps outperformed 0.8% up on the broad markets. Uh, large cap growth led after lagging yesterday. So some gyrations there. We'll see what which way it resolves over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we are uh, heading into option X week next week. There's not a lot of catalysts besides earnings, which you know we're through most of the major players uh, in the markets. So what's going to drive uh, the the broad indices? Probably not a whole lot or, uh, until later next week, mainly because of what we call gamma hedging. And there's a lot of basically options that are purchased, call options, on the bigger names, the bigger tech names, and that dom those dominate the broader indices. And when you go into Option X, there's a lot of rolling of those options that creates natural buyers of the underlying positions. There's a lot of complexity here. But basically, when you have the market up into these events, it tends to kind of perpetuate that those trends in the short term. And then after OPEX, things can certainly change from there. So that's why I don't see a lot of change in the markets over the next week, week and a half or so. That's about it. Well, we're going to head into our first major break for the hour. And that gives you time, gives you time to think about your questions. What have you been thinking about when it comes to your money? Whether that is about a particular stock, particular asset class, an account type you might, might have, whatever is on your mind, we encourage you to reach out and answer it. No question is too simple or too complex. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. Tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk podcast downloads. Let them know they can choose an episode that covers their topic of interest. Download free anytime at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or investtalk.com. Now, my focus point concerns this question Is the market in a dangerous position? And you know, one analyst is highlighting the fact that. Strong job numbers and wage growth suggest the interest, the, the Federal Reserve and interest rates will stay relatively tight. That U.S. wage growth remaining elevated will put pressure on consume, the Consumer Price Index report. And we had on Friday the report for January on non-farm payrolls, 353,000. That was the headline. Well above the 185,000 that was expected. And average hourly earnings were up 0.6%. On a monthly basis, double the forecast. And unemployment rate 
stayed flat. Now, wages are strong, and that will typically feed into inflation. And the CPI was up 0.3% month over month in December, annualized at 3.4%, above, obviously, what the Fed's target is at 2 But we know, based on better leading indicators, CPI is usually very lagging, which you want to look at our PPI, producer price index, that remains down and likely will continue to signal that the CPI will continue to moderate at least through uh, the first quarter and probably the second quarter of this year. But the argument here is that these higher interest rates will cause more companies to have to refinance their loans at higher rates and therefore weaken the overall economy. And that's where I kind of break with this analyst, that that in and of itself is going to be a factor that's going to kill the economy. Because what he highlights is actually a time between 1964 and 1981 when the economy was generally strong, but strong inflation brought tighter monetary conditions. And he thinks we're going into a similar period. But this is where I believe he's very wrong. And that is the debt situation. It's a very different debt situation today than it was before. And a lot of people will say, well, that is bad. That is bearish. And you're right eventually. But for what economist it was is in the long run, we're all dead, right? So at what point does the you-know-what hit the fan? Probably at some point, but probably a lot further out than you think. And in the meantime... Higher for longer simply means government is spending more on interest payments. We're now over a trillion dollars a year in interest payments. And remember, the Obama's stimulus package post the financial crisis was seven, eight hundred billion. So you're talking about that level of stimulus every single year. So while, yes, it will have an impact on certain parts of the economy and increase the carrying costs of debt for those that do need to refinance, as I've said before, on the consumer side, nearly 90% of debt is fixed, either a mortgage or student loans or auto loans. Very few is variable. And so, in reality, higher for longer, and I've, I've, I've started to argue this a little bit, is the Fed's tools are far less effective than they used to be. Are higher rates actually inflationary? Certainly an argument for that. Remember, when they spend, government spends a trillion dollars in interest, those are dollars going out into the system. For people to spend money on, for for companies to spend money on. So a kind of benign 
backdrop is, I think, actually good for equities overall. But I think the argument here is more for what is the true state of the jobs market. Is it 353,000 jobs created? Is that true? Well, based on their their methodology, yeah, maybe. But I look at, as, as I talked to yes, yesterday with Luke about, was continuous claims near the highest of the cycle. We know that layoffs from large corporations are increasing. So all of this adds up to, I think that number is a bit bunk. And I think the Fed is going to have a difficult time making heads and tails over the economy. Because it's not, not fitting their models because of the level of debt that we have on the level of the federal government, which we haven't had since World War II. And so that's why I kind of disagree that if the jobs market is strong, that that is bad for equities. I actually think it's the opposite. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to achieve your, help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they implement a very practical investing philosophy independent thinking, shared success. Learn more anytime at investtalk.com. And now Justin's here taking your calls, so step up with your questions, 888 99 chart. Hello, Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. I'm calling about stock ticker D. N N 
Uh, it is Denison Mines. It, I'm hopefully trying to look for a good uranium play. And I see that this is uh, in Canada. Uh, and the reason why I'm looking at this is because as we go into you know, a new year and future years, I think, as you said before, uranium might be the next best bet. I'm looking at some of the fundamentals. I would like to know what your thoughts are. I'm planning on putting this in both a Roth IRA for long-term uh, hold and a just a regular brokerage account hold it for like three to five years. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye. We're looking at Denison Mines. This is out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And this is a uranium miner. And it is uh, an exploration company, meaning uh, it doesn't have a lot of revenue. $2 million in revenue last quarter. Very little on a market cap of $1.8 billion. So what you're betting on here is that their mines will hit the market, will, will open soon and start producing tons of cash flow. Now, analysts expect them to earn only $0.07 cents for the full year last year and actually lose money this year. So this is a small cap uranium play. It's going to be very volatile. And it's all going to be about how close are they to getting up and running with the mines that are under development, which makes it very high risk. Now, what I will say is the relative strength here is very good, 96. And of the uranium names that are out there, the small uranium names, this is one of the best from a relative strength perspective. So that's a good signal from the market. However, it's very high risk because they could have a snafu, could not actually produce as much uranium as they had hoped, for example. And that creates a lot of risk going forward. Whereas, you know, the name that we've owned for clients for some time is Kimiko, CCJ, one of the largest uranium miners in the world, $21 billion market cap, also out of Canada, but they have profits, cash flow, and mines that are already producing uranium. So that's a safer play. But less uncertainty there. So it just depends on what you want exposure to. You want the higher risk play, Denon, based on especially relative strength, would be the way to go. If you want something that's safer, then something like Kimiko or similar large names would make more sense. Thanks for the call. Let's go to third in San Jose looking at Bungie, BG. Yeah. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'm looking at BG. So I got a rec uh, recommendation last year from you, and I made my investment thesis last year. It has strong financials. Uh, it has diverse business within the agriculture. Uh, so at that time, I wrote down last year around the same time that if the revenue and earnings continue to decline, uh, even after a couple of years, that is the time to sell. Uh, so they just announced the earnings uh, today for Q4, and it seems like they're forecasting that the earnings will continue to shrink. I really like the company. It's about 2 to 3% of my portfolio, and I mm -hmm. picked up at $90. Mm -hmm. So is it a buy, sell, hold? Uh, I would love to 
uh, have your take on it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, at this point, it's probably a hold. You know, they they beat earnings, but they they uh, they should slower growth for the coming year in their earnings estimates. Uh, but the stock didn't really react negatively, so I think that's kind of a positive. It's down a little bit on the day today, but that's kind of a positive when they downgrade their earnings expectations. That means a lot of that is priced in when the market doesn't react much to that. So I think that's a good thing. Uh, they have. Good profitability, 3% dividend yield, modest amount of debt. Um, so I don't have any reason I don't have any uh, reason to pick up a ton more at this point or to really sell it because it hasn't broken major support. My major support level would be around $81. Now it's at $87. If it breaks $81, or it's called $80 for round numbers, if it breaks that, then I would be more negative on it. Right now, it's neutral. On a monthly chart, it's just been kind of chopping sideways for a couple of years now. Uh, and it's clearly neutral. Good value at enterprise value to be around 4.7. So that's a positive. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would just hold it for now. I probably wouldn't add to it until you get some resolution to the upside. Thanks for the call. Now, my perspective today covers a mathematical theorem called the, lar the Law of Large Numbers. And it basically states that the average of the results obtained from a large number of independent and identical random samples converges to the true value. And this is what we call just large data sets, not anecdotes. So many people make decisions based on anecdotes. They see one thing or they hear a story or whatever. And it's not about that. It's about outcomes over a long period of time and multiple outcomes that add up to some average. And for example, in a casino, you may lose money on a single roulette wheel or, or a casino might lose money on it, right? You put money down on, on a 18 on the roulette wheel and it hits and the casino loses money. But they're fine with that because they know that as long as that people keep putting money down and that wheel keeps spinning, there's going to be a lot of outcomes. And over time, they set up the rules so that based on the law of large numbers, they will come out profitable. Very simple. That's why casino profits are fairly predictable. And so as the sample gets larger, the results become more predictable. And this is the same in the finance world. For example, a company cannot grow at the same rate forever. Otherwise, especially above the level of the economy, because eventually they become the economy. If the economy grows at 3%. Any company that's growing more than that is eating into the the market share of the economy that other companies might have. So a company cannot maintain the same growth pace forever. Otherwise, they become the economy. So when you analyze any name, you have to understand this concept. 
For example, Apple. In 2012, Apple had a market share of $624 billion. That was then a record as of August 20th of that year. But as of today, February 2024, has a market cap of nearly $3 trillion. That's about a 4.7 times what it was in 2012, just 12 years. If Apple were to repeat itself, or repeat that feat, it would grow to nearly $14 trillion by just 2036. Probably not going to happen. So you have to understand this when you are investing, especially in companies that are growing, that that growth rate will slow. And sometimes that's okay. And sometimes the market's okay with that based on that law of large numbers. But it's a concept that you have to grasp because it's a natural way that companies evolve. They eventually get so big that there's no more, they have the biggest market share in a particular sector. For example, Google, how much growth can they have in search? Well, they can't really steal much search market share from anybody else because they're pretty much the search market. It's really about the ad market. Are people spending more money on ads or less? And so eventually growth companies turn into that. They turn into market share stealers and eventually at a certain size, they become simply the market for that particular product or service. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. Hi there. My name is Joe calling from Nashville, and I have a question about ticker symbol T-C-E-H-Y, 10-cent multinational company based out of China, video games, fintech, so on and so forth. Currently, it makes up about 5%, a little over of my portfolio, kind of moving sideways technically, but I like the business. So I uh, would like to get your take on it. Is it worth uh, holding or is it something I should look to sell when I get a good price? Listening for the show. Thank you. Uh, I would be looking to sell it. I'm, I still remain bearish on China. I've been bearish for a couple of years now. Uh, mainly based on demographics and the structure of their economy that has been so reliant on real estate. And I know this has nothing to do with real estate, but it is certainly going to have a correlation with the broader Chinese economy. And if more and more manufacturing is happening outside of that country, lack of foreign investment into that country, as well as the demographic situation, will continue to weaken their overall economy on top of the problems they have in real estate, which there's a massive, 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 massive real estate bubble that is now coming undone. So that's the reason all these stocks are in a downtrend. Yes, they're they're, they're trying to stop the, the bleeding and they may succeed in the short term. They haven't done so yet, but they may succeed um, in the short term. But long term, I'm fairly bearish on the Chinese economy. And so I would be looking to exit Tencent. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk about the widening gap between how Americans feel about the economy and the actual economic numbers. And we've talked about this for a while, but it's starting to become clearer and clearer that 
this has less to do really with what people feel like today about their individual financial situation. Because based on the numbers, people are spending briskly. Inflation has come down. Still elevated, but it's come down. And unemployment below 4% for 24 straight months, the strongest, the longest stretch since the 1960s. All of that should say, hey, consumers are confident. But when you talk to them, they're not. And it's fairly simple. Comes down to the global geopolitical situation and our government. Not only if you know this, but this will be the first year, the very first year, uh, and I, I forget how many, over 100 years, that independence will outnumber, will be the biggest political party. It will outnumber Democrats and Republicans. And that's mainly because people have no faith in either party. They feel the world is more dangerous and the government is dysfunctional. And so there's no way to fix the problems that they see in the, over the long term. They have no faith in that. They see getting a college degree as something that used to be a ticket to a good life. Now it's overpriced and there's no guarantee that comes with it. There are plenty of people that are, you know, working middling blue collar jobs that have a four year degree and they're saddled with a bunch of debt. And so consumer sentiment remains in doldrums. It's 20% lower than during the pre-pandemic early 2020 uh, uh, months. Despite the biggest two-month increase in consumer sentiment over the past couple of months. So things are getting a bit better from a sentiment perspective, but they're still way down. So they feel the divisiveness. And, you know, it's it's typical that your political party will color your view of the overall economy. In fact, Stanford looked at this. And what they found was there was a 30% change in your view of the economy based on your political party on average. For example, before the 2016 election, only 11% of Republicans rated the economy as excellent or good. After Trump was elected, a month later, jumped to 26%. And he wasn't even sworn in. He hadn't done anything yet. And a year later, it was 73%. And that happens maybe not to the same degree, but in a similar manner as on the, on the Democratic side. And so as more and more people are becoming independent, they don't have faith in either side, right? If, if your political party is coloring your view of the overall economy, yet now the majority of Americans don't have a political party. So it doesn't matter who's in, if it's a Republican or a Democrat, they just don't have faith in either. And it's becoming clearer and clearer when you look at their the reaction in these polls that that is the case. That's what's driving this 
gulf between the realities of the near-term trends in the economy and the hope and the optimism that people tend to have. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we're heading into our final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Good talk to Jason in Atlanta looking at Bristol Myers, PM. Why? You own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I'm looking to buy it. Okay. And what's your reasoning? So I was trying to get into the uh, big pharma space. I know a lot of things have been diving except for like Eli Lilly. Uh, and I was actually trying to decide between Bristol-Myers and Pfizer. And I just really wanted to get your insight on it. Well, the issue I think with Bristol Myers, and the reason that it's in a very strong downtrend, uh, is the fact that they have a pretty hefty debt load, and they acquired what was it? They acquired uh, Celgene, okay, and that gave them a pipeline of drugs. But you know, there are like most of these big big uh, pharma names, they have patent clips. So there's a lot of uncertainty around that pipeline. And there is a lot of debt to be, be carried. Uh, and if you look at uh, some measures like their cash flow, it certainly ebbed from about $14 billion at the end of 2021 to about $11.5 billion today. Um, and until this breaks its downtrend, I would be very patient on it. Now, I will say technically, okay. the MACD is starting to show signal that maybe this momentum to the downside is slowing. That's a positive. But I would need some confirmation beyond just a few sub-indicators, we call them. Uh, and so it's right. an interesting name to keep on your watch list, but this would need to break above the 100-day moving average for me to get excited about it. And that's right around uh, currently $52 and change. And the current price is around 58 and change. So I would want to wait for that. Um, you know, the, the dividend is is nice. But, you know, if they don't come through with this pipeline, then their business will continue to struggle. Earnings last quarter were down 7% year over year. And if that continues, then that dividend will eventually be in jeopardy, especially with this debt load. So watch it, monitor it, but be patient on it until you find a true breakout to the upside. And I think if it does, there's plenty plenty of room to catch the upside move. But until there's some confirmation there, I would hold off. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's touch on the latest senior bank lending officer survey from the Federal Reserve. And what it showed was that there's an increase in demand for loans as interest rates fell later in la uh, late last year. But uh, 
lending standards remain on the tightening side, but tightening uh, to a lesser degree than they did in the previous survey. So it shows a smaller portion of banks tightening lender sta lending standards in the fourth quarter of last year compared to the third quarter. And loan demand improved slightly. Now what this means is, in general, that's positive. It's all matters of magnitude. Something shrinking 5%, and then the next time it's only shrinking 2%, that's an improvement. And that's kind of what you're seeing here. So overall, what this survey showed was that the worst of the monetary tightening is really behind us. And not just the Fed, lack of increasing rates or tightening policy, right? We know they are on the path towards ending QT and lowering rates. We know that, but that's not happening yet. But banks who also create liquidity, who also help with the plumbing of the financial system by lending, by creating dollars in a fac fractional re reserve banking system, they incrementally improved their lending, their path towards uh, creating dollars into the system. And so this survey is incrementally, not majorly, but incrementally positive for the overall economy. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.